0: Hey there, it's Libertarians for America and welcome to our podcast. Today we have a very special guest, uh, Spike Cohen, who was the vice presidential candidate this year in 2020 in the Jorgensen campaign. Uh, how are you, Spike? I'm doing good, Rudy. and thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, we have a couple of questions about the education system. Um, do you believe that our taxing system should be more catered towards the K through 12 education system. Most importantly, do you believe that um, the federal government shouldn't have anything involved with um, the K
1: through 12 education system? And should it be a state only thing? That's an excellent question. I think that, uh, and I've, I hope that this answers your question in the way that you phrased it. I think that the problem with that, edu- I think we need to kind of scale back and look at why we are where we are when it comes to education. And there's many different failures layered on top of failures. But, but the biggest one that we're seeing right now is the fact that in the 1970s, I believe 1979, the Department of Education uh, was created as its own standalone group. Uh, and since then, and the reason it was created was because the literacy rate had dropped to a record low since they had been measuring and the uh, and the students to teacher ratio had continued to rise for many decades before that. And they were going to fix this with a federal program, a federal agency to fix this. Uh, in the last, uh, during that near, what, just over 40 years that they've existed, like almost 42 years that they've existed, they have spent adjusted for inflation well over 3 trillion dollars and nearly uh, in today's money and and pr- closer to 4 trillion dollars mm-hmm. during that time the literacy rate has dropped even more the student to teacher ratio has continued to go up which means that it's either it's either that that has made things worse or at the best, it just hasn't done anything to help. Now, I would argue it's made things worse. I talked to teachers across this country when I was campaigning last year. And what I heard over and over again was the same thing. And not just teachers. I heard from uh, t- parents. I heard from um, uh, uh, PTA board, uh, members, uh, school board members, and, and I heard the same thing over and over again. We are powerless to do anything in our schools that will be effective because if it doesn't comply with federal regulations, we're not allowed to do it. The federal government forces us to uh, have this system that's basically based on testing, Scantron. Everything is Scantron. Everything is testing. It's not about learning so much as learning how to pass the test. Now, if you are someone who is geared towards learning how to pass the test, it still doesn't serve you, you're not really learning anything, but you at least can, can work your way through that system. If you're like a lot of students that aren't geared that way, need to have that hands-on experience, you're gonna get left behind. You know, th- This was called the, the most recent, or one of the more recent uh, add-ons to federal uh, education was the no child left behind bill. Well, it should be called the increasing number of children left behind bill, because that's what's happening. Every single class, there's a higher rate of students that are either failing, or dropping out, or this is the big one being labeled special needs or some other category that exempts them from the testing. So now those kids are put in special needs classes, which were designed for a very small a uh, handful of students who have actual special needs—people with very severe high autism, people with uh, you know uh, um, uh, uh, brain defects, genetic disorders, and things like that—who who legitimately need to be in that in that much smaller class size with teachers who are specially trained to deal in a one-on-one basis with people that have those very high needs. So now you flood that class with a bunch of kids that aren't actually special needs; they just aren't Scantron. Babies, And so they come into these classes, and they overwhelm the teachers who are not used to these large class sizes. A lot of those kids are dealing with, you know, feelings of inadequacy and feelings of, of you know, feelings of, of vulnerability and feelings of insecurity, because now they're in this type of a class. And, and, you know, they never felt like there was anything like that wrong with them. There's often bullying that happens in there. Now, the teachers are unable to deal with it, because this is not what they were specialized in. And so now, both the students that shouldn't be in those classes, And the students who should be in those classes aren't being served. And of course, the kids that are are still in the the other classes that are doing this test, they truly aren't being served either. Why did this happen? Because when you centralize something, really anything, but in this case, we're talking about education. When you centralize something like education into the hands of a relative handful of people in Washington, D.C., it leads to harmful and abusive and inequitable outcomes. Because at best, even if every single politician in DC had you as a student and and really just the country's best interest at at heart when it comes to uh, education, they couldn't possibly know what you and your schools and your community need when it comes to education as well as you could. And if all they're doing is taking money out of your community, In taxation and in debt and spending and so forth, if they're taking all that money out, and if they're imposing all these restrictions on you so that you can't uh, innovate and create solutions that don't comply with their regulations, so you're having to be forced to use theirs, if they rob you of all that power, of all that freedom, and of course, of all that money, it's going to lead to worse outcomes, even if they had your best interest at heart. Well, they don't have your best interest at heart. We know that. The kind of people that are attracted to having that kind of power and growing and centralizing that kind of power are the last people you would want deciding what your schools or your police departments or anything else would look like for that matter. Right, but definitely. we're talking, again, we're talking about schools. We don't want them. Those are the last people we would want. They impose things in order to be able to make things worse so that they can grandstand on the fact that things are worse and demand more money. They, they can pad the pockets of the cronies to put them in office through all these education spending plans that are just really just a SOP, a slush fund for the people who spent millions of dollars to get them in office in exchange for billions of dollars in bailouts and contracts. That's what's happened to our education system. My idea is this. Dismantle all of that. And for that matter, probably dismantle it at the state level, too. Your governor doesn't know as well as your school board and your parents and your teachers and you know what your schools should look like. Why should it be handled? Why should it be centralized that? I mean, that would be better than what we have now, but why should it even be centralized there? Why not allow for there to be community-based schooling where all of your money for schooling is kept in your community, where all of the power and decision-making ability is reserved and put in the hands of the people who actually know what your school should look like, what the ch- unique challenges are in your schooling system. What are the things that need to be done in order to be able to fix it? So that when your teachers and your and your, and your your um parents and the school board members and you know at pta meetings and and at school board meetings when they get together and say hey here's what needs to be done with education they're not having to worry about what the governor or the freaking state uh, legislature or the congress or president think about it because who the hell cares what they think about it it's none of their business they didn't go to they're they're not in that school they're they're not the ones having to deal with that you have the power let you have the money let you have the freedom to be able to fix this I mean, I totally agree with you.
0: I think that it should be a county-based um, system. Um, you okay. know, we're going to have an actual interview with um, Larry Sharp. And I saw his thing on the yeah. Joe Rogan podcast. And he said, let me name all the times that centralized uh, power has worked. And he said, all right, quick list, none, no time yep. has it ever worked. And I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned that nearly $4 trillion have been put into the public education system since, what, 1979? I mean, that's, and that's that's, that's
1: just at the federal level. That doesn't include state Same. spending on schools. Oh, yeah. It's insane the amount of money that's been spent on education. Our problem is not spending on education. We spend more money than any other country on earth. The reason we have bad outcomes is because we have a bad system.
0: Exactly. And obviously... Our politicians, our bureaucrats are literally getting paid um, who knows how much money by these um, massive corporations. Actually, um, Dr. Umar Johnson, I watched one of his interviews, and he mentioned that ADHD in America was uh, has always been misdiagnosed, right? Um, ADHD, they give these kids pills, right, which is practically a similar chemical formula to methamphetamine, right? So you're practically giving these amphetamines. kids right? You're giving these kids meth and you're telling them, Oh, now, now you can focus. Let's give you some meth. Right. Right. And um, this is because our bureaucrats at the Capitol Hill are saying, no, no. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Give them special needs classes. As you were saying, right. I mean, I I, I sat right next to a special needs class and every day we would just hear they're throwing tantrums. The teachers didn't know how to hold down their students Um,
1: No one was specialized in there. It it was just a total conundrum. Because they're on meth. They're on amphetamines. Now, I I do want to be clear about one thing. If someone legitimately has ADHD, typically, but not always, but typically or or very often – uh, amphetamines and what are usually uppers for other people actually have a calming effect to them. So it's so uh, um, uh, I forget the, the the brand name, but but basically amphetamine salts can work for people that legitimately have ADHD. Now there are some forms of ADHD where it doesn't work, but here's the problem: they're incentivizing the schools to label as many people yeah, as possible. Of dollars. They're giving them money or they're threatening it. so it's stick and carrot the carrot is if you get enough kids you know that that you can exempt from our our standards you get you get the money you get the you know the funding and all of that stuff if you don't and it falls behind your school loses money and you could potentially lose your charter from the state level. That's, and then, so then, then the incentivization goes down to the parents at the state level, they say to the parents, well, you can either take this additional money uh, and have your kid on whatever, you know, prescriptions we've given them and, and accept whatever label they've given them, or you can deny it. And CPS might decide you're an unfit parent. You might lose your kids. So it's, it's, everyone is being extorted. The federal level is extorting the state level in the schools and the state level is, Extorting the, the the parent, and and this is the kind of stuff that you get from federal mismanagement, which is really just federal management of something like education.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, mm. I have some personal experience with one of those programs. Uh, when I was in third, fourth, and fifth grade, there was this program at my school called Resource, and Resource is basically what you said, where it's supposed to be yep. for um, special needs ch- uh, children and children that are mm-hmm. struggling in a normal class setting. And I remember I got, for some reason, I ended up in that class, but I never felt I belonged because I was way above everything they were teaching. For example, I remember very clearly, we would have to read a first grade level book. I would breeze through it because obviously it was very simple and everybody else struggled. And I I really begged the teachers, hey, you know, can you please let me go back to the regular class? I don't believe I fit in here. And they said, no, you know, you belong in here. And I tried telling my parents, um, to get me out of the, the class because I really didn't belong. And the school literally told my, my parent, actually he belongs in here. You know, if you put him back in the regular school and the regular class, he is going to fail. So it was just really hard because I couldn't fit in and I was even being kind of teased for it. Um, it wasn't until fifth grade that I really took it up a notch and I, I got honors roll just to prove like I really can't be in here. But just my whole point is that I had to get honors and work extra hard just to prove that I wasn't Just to get out of that.
1: Exactly, exactly. I actually have a very similar story. Uh, Now, mine was before No Child Left Behind and all of that, but it it speaks to how the schools often fail uh, students if they don't have the resources in place to be able to do it. Which is more likely to be able to happen if the federal government is robbing those districts of the money they need to have those resources and only giving it back if it decides they need it? Um, in the first or second grade, um, I was because I, I I went between homeschooling and public schooling because of the problems that I had in public schooling. I did not learn the way other kids learned, and it wasn't that there was something wrong with me. I just didn't learn the way that other kids learned, and this was before that. This was right when honors classes were starting. And so initially, the uh, the the teachers one, came to my parents and said, "Your son is." They used the word retarded, and you know this was what they said back then. This was you know, I, and it, it wasn't acceptable then, but it certainly wouldn't be now. And they said that to my parents, and my parents said, "There's no way our son's very smart." And they said, "No, no, no. He he is. He's he's not doing well in his classes." And they said, well, why isn't he doing well in his classes? And they said, well, he's got a very low IQ probably. So we're going to give him an IQ test and to see, you know, just how bad it is. And I got whatever the highest score was on the IQ test that the IQ test maxed out at whatever, you know, uh, isn't considered special needs, basically. So I maxed out at whatever it was because I wasn't special needs. And so then they said, oh, okay. well, we we we've we've come across this before where there are people like your your son who are who, you know, are troubled. Uh, you know, mentally, uh, but are at, but are also very smart, and so they put me in what are now called honors classes. Um, back then, I forget, they had like a gimmicky name for it, but you know, gifted thankfully, was what's it, that? Was it called was it called the gifted program back then? It, and no, it was it was it had like it was like called like Pelican Kids or something like that. Like it was uh, it was like like I said it was like, it was like a weird gimmicky name, but but gifted was a, a term that was often used. But but here's what ended up happening: a bunch of Uh, kids that were in the the resource classes the the special needs classes ended up going into that class because it turned out they weren't special needs now the ability of schools to adapt in the this would have been 80 gosh i'm old uh 89 is way better than it is now because now there's that much more federal control i mean there was a federal department of education back then but the number of things that have passed since then especially no child left behind uh and have made it that much worse and that much harder to be able to adapt to the only reason i didn't end up going into special needs classes was because my parents fought tooth and nail to keep me out of it and and my mom was actually very active in the school to be able to she was part of a she she ran the the publishing company where kids could go and have books made uh they could they could give her Uh, you know information give her uh, uh, wording for a book and they type it out together and she came up with this whole thing and so it was like a really cool thing but it was because of their position of doing that stuff and fighting and saying no there's no way that our son is as they put it retarded there's no way that there's something wrong with him that he can't that he can't learn that forced them to look and see oh no actually he's Off the charts of of what we could map for you know he's definitely at least in the normal range for for iq and ability to learn it's our problem but for a lot of parents that you know don't have that time and resources to be able to fight back and and eventually my parents had the time and resources to pull me out completely and homeschool me uh for a lot of parents that you know they're both working full-time they're both got way too much on their on their and they have multiple children and one of them they're being told is that they go I guess that's, maybe that's the case, you know, or, or I don't think it's true, but we can't fight it. And I mean, I, I can't, it, it hurts to think of how many kids get abused like Jack, like what you went through that, through that system that where you had to actually fight and prove that you were actually above average to get out of the, out of the, the special needs classes, special needs classes should be for people who, for reasons, whatever reasons that are, that's obviously are not their fault. We're not putting down special needs people, but people that are actually special needs and actually need that one-on-one uh, uh treatment from the educators that are specially trained for special needs education it's a completely different way of of teaching and training and by throwing in a bunch of kids who aren't uh special needs it overwhelms the teachers so they can't do that one-on-one work it's It subjects those it, it hurts everyone involved gets hurt and, and it's just a terrible system
0: yeah oh yeah i mean um so that was gonna actually lead me into my next question which was sure What are your thoughts on, you know, right now we see there's this really big trend of the BLM movement. And and so what are your thoughts on federal government? Now, a lot of people are coming up with this idea that, you know, in the south side of Chicago, Englewood area, East Oakland, um, just to name a few, that we should start allocating more funds towards their school districts, um, towards these school districts so that we can um, uplift Uh, certain communities and basically um, kill what is quote unquote, you know, known now as white privilege. And
1: now we can level the playing field out. If you want to ruin school districts in underserved communities, the last thing you want to do is have more federal government involvement, because whatever money that they throw into it is going to be assigned to additional centralized control. So for every dollar that is gained from the federal government, first of all, it's also a dollar that's being taken out of everyone, too, because they got to get that money has to come from somewhere. But but even in that immediate moment, every dollar that comes in is more than offset by the loss of the ability to make decisions Based on what that school needs. The reason schools are failing in, in lower income areas, like, you know, you'd mentioned East Oakland, South Side of Chicago, um, uh, certain parts of South Carolina where I live, uh, certain parts of really certain parts of every state. The, the reason that that's happening in low income areas is because the students are being segregated by zip code or by school district and they're not being allowed to look for schools that can serve them better. And so if they aren't able to push out the kind of uh, tax receipts for that state that they want, they don't get the kind of resources that they need. And they're robbed of the ability to be able to innovate with what they have to be able to make better solutions. So instead, they have the same top-down, one-size-fits-all solution imposed on them that everyone else is, and they're getting less money. They're having the money taken away, but they're getting less money back. So- and the and the and the kids that could that could that could do better, really all of them, are segregated into that bad school district. I mean, there was a, there was a situation of a woman in Illinois where she was sentenced to prison uh, for uh, saying that she lived in a different school, um, zip code, giving the wrong address, because she wanted her kid to get out of this terrible school where the the uh, the uh, graduation rate was like. Seven percent or some absurd thing like that. Like, I mean, it was it was it was single digits. I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was under 10 percent. And she wanted her kid to have a better shot. She ended up in jail for it. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm probably losing her child as well. This is what happens when you have the government fall. I actually, you mentioned East Oakland. I was in Oakland on my campaign event and I had someone come up to me uh, during the campaign because at, at every event I did, I'd give like a five, 10 minute speech. I'm not, a, I don't like speeches. I like answering questions. And so I'd give like a five, 10 minute speech and then I'd spend like an hour doing Q&A. I try to answer at least 10 questions if I could, however many questions I could answer from the audience. And then usually while I'm doing selfies and stuff afterwards, people would ask me questions and I give a, a shorter version of an answer. But one of the people that came up uh, lived in Oakland. And he said he was talking about the fact that their schools weren't allowing uh, Black History Month teaching out or Black History teaching outside of February. They were basically being given by the guidance by the state and the federal government that teaching about their history, because I mean, in that area, it was 90 plus percent Black, uh, was not allowed that it was, you know, you can do this in February, but you know, you're going to have to use the standard curriculum the rest of the time. And he was asking me, you know, what can what can I do? He was asking me, you know, what can I do uh, to be able to allow him to do it? And I said, Well, you've already seen what happens when someone that you send to the White House decides what your schooling looks like. Decisions are made for your schooling by people who don't care about you. At best, they are apathetic to your situation. Our plan is to give you back everything, all of the money that's being taken out of your community all of the power and decision-making ability that's being taken out of your community. So your school can look the way you want it to. And where you don't have teachers unions imposing upon you that this school has to remain open, even if it sucks and it doesn't matter how much money is happening is, is, is going into it. It's a failed school system and you should be able to take your money somewhere else and go to, and and it can be a public school, private school, charter school, whatever, but to another school, So that you can actually get education that you would want for your children so that they don't have to be mired in poverty the same way you are. And of course, there's many other problems, too. We have to look at the occupational licensing laws that are basically a regressive tax on entrepreneurs who are below a certain income level who want to be able to try to grow out of poverty. We can talk about um we can talk about, you know, how taxation is inherently regressive because it's the end consumer that pays the tax. We can talk about a lot of things that lead to uh, institutional and generational poverty. Uh, and and, and there's, there's many aspects to that, the, the war on drugs. There's, there's many, many aspects to that. But specific to education, the more involved the federal government is, the worse it's going to be. The, the absolute last thing that those communities need, even with the additional money that comes with it, is going to be that. It will make things far, far worse. And it will continue the, the trope or the narrative that, oh, well, these people can't do anything for themselves. Look at this. They're getting all this extra money and their schools are still failing. You know why that is? Exactly. That's what leads to this kind of stuff. It makes everything worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I think that the
0: at the end of the day, the number one result that we see from this is why are we even trusting government? Um, why are we trusting? Literally why are we trusting federal government to treat a six year old's mind and educate a six year old's mind? I honestly don't trust Mitch McConnell, right? A guy who's seen money his entire life to help a eight year old, right? That, processes things faster i mean where is the addition in that right it's like one plus I don't, one equals 10
1: exactly i don't trust mitch mcconnell to tell me what the weather is outside like i mean let, let, we are ta- i mean look at the kind of people that are in office right now there is no even the ones that you that might be more likely to say things that we agree with so if i had to pick politicians that are in office that you know occasionally say things i agree with um rand paul Uh, Thomas Massey, Um, occasionally AOC and Ilhan Omar when it comes to things like uh, criminal justice reform, the war on drugs and things like that. There are things they say that I agree with. Is there a single one of them that I would trust to do the right thing if push comes to shove? No. First of all, I don't know them. And that's a big part of this. I much more trust people in my community to make these decisions if for no other reason than I can go talk to them and get their opinion and give my opinion and try to have some feedback there and talk with other people in my immediate local area to be able to make these kinds of decisions. It's not to say that I don't like people outside of my area. It's just to say that it's impossible for me to be able to keep in constant contact with everyone outside of my area. So if we know that, if we know that things work better when they're more decentralized, then that lends itself to looking at why that is. Libertarians believe in a concept called self-ownership or personal autonomy. And basically what that means, and this is the very basics of it. And it goes back to why we why we don't trust federal politicians. Here, here's the basics of it. We believe that you own yourself or you have autonomy over yourself. Some people don't like the idea of owning yourself because you know it's like having a deed or whatever. So well, personal autonomy, self-ownership, whatever. No one else has a greater claim to you than you. That's inherent. Because of that, you own your life, you own your body. You own your thoughts, you own your, your actions, you own your, uh, your words, and you have responsibility for that as well. You own your labor. So you, no one can make you do something against your will. No one can make you work against your will. That's why slavery is wrong. It's a violation of your, your inherent uh, autonomy and ability to be able to make that decision. You, uh, you own your labor. So if you own your labor, then you own the product of your labor, which is your property. Your property is every bit as much owned by you because it is an extension of your labor, the product of your labor, as your own body and life are. This is where the concept of property rights comes from. And from that comes what we call the non-aggression principle, which is basically, I can't hurt you, you can't hurt me. We should respect each other's ownership and each other's property. So we should respect our lives, our rights, and our property. And we should also have ours respected as well. The only thing we actually owe one another, are obligated to give one another, is non-aggression, to not aggress upon each other. Now, the things that we have, right? We can work together in cooperation. We can trade those things. We can keep those things for ourselves. We can sell those things. We can merge these things together to make new things. We can do whatever we want with them because they're ours and we can make that voluntary decision with others, right? This is stuff we're taught as kids. Don't hurt people. Don't take their things. Don't try to, you know, force someone into something. Uh, Don't touch someone where they don't want to be touched. Don't take something from someone. Like these are basic stuff that we teach kids, right? That's them. That's their body. Respect that. It's consent culture. Government is one giant act of aggression against your self-ownership. They impose rules upon you without your consent. They take from you. They take from your 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 uh your your money. They take from your uh, your rights. They take from your property whenever they want to. Um, they tell you that you have a say in it, but really you just have one stake of many. And if you if you don't win, if your side doesn't win, then you have something imposed upon you that you didn't consent to. Um, this system is one giant act of aggression. Now, libertarians believe that this aggression is wrong because of the things we said that, you know, you shouldn't hurt people, shouldn't take their stuff, but it also doesn't work. If I can take from the two of you and everyone who, who watches or listens to this whenever I want to, I don't have to prove that I've given you any value. Because I didn't have to get the same way that you go to, the, to, you choose a store or a restaurant or wherever you buy something from, because you've decided that they have the value that you want. I don't have to do that because you're not deciding to give it to me. I'm taking it from you. So I don't have to provide you with any value. And I don't have to be a good steward of what I have. I don't have to make good decisions with what I have because I can just take more from you whenever I want to. And after enough time, you don't have to be a good steward with what you have because you know that I'm, I could come and take it from you at any moment. And if we look at all the harmful and abusive and inequitable outcomes that come in our society, they are largely as a result of a system that has been imposed upon us or a small handful of people Take from us and impose upon us and aggress upon us whenever they see fit. This centralization of power, this robbing of individuals of your self-ownership and your power and your freedom to make decisions and your property and your money and your ability to be able to thrive and work with others in a voluntary way and come up with solutions that work for you. Not only is it wrong from a a moral or, or, or ethical standpoint, it's wrong from the standpoint of it doesn't work. And so collapses. what libertarians believe is that both the more right thing to do, the moral thing to do, and the correct thing to do, the thing that makes most sense is to dismantle all of that and to decentralize that power as much as possible and to put as much of that power that was stolen from you and that money and that freedom that was stolen from you and put it back in your hands where it always belonged.
0: All right. All right. Well, that was Spike Cohen for you guys today. Um, <laughs> and I'm I mean... sorry, I was ranting. So if you have oh, no, one no, more no, question, no, no. I can take it. Oh, I apologize. Really? Um, no, no. We usually run around 30 minutes because, okay, cool. cool yeah. Cool. Cause you know, we're teens. So it's like most of our audience are actually teens. So then we have to, you got them for about 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, well, thanks you, for having me on. Have, yeah. Do you have any other questions for us or like anything that
1: you would like to hear? Or, um, no, my, know, my anything. phone started talking to me. Uh, but I, I, I do, I, I just want to thank you for being on the show or having me on the, I, I have my own show, so I'm used to thanking people for being on my show. I'd like to thank you for having me on your show. Oh, yeah. um, and I guess the question I would have for the two of you, because you're both, you're 17, 16, 16, 16, okay, 16 years old. My question for you is this, what is the biggest thing that the, t- and, and you can answer, obviously you're both individuals. What is the biggest thing that each of you thinks is the, like the biggest thing that needs to be addressed? right now in, in government and society in general? Oh yeah. Uh, I'll go
0: first. I think the number one thing that we need to address is uh, globalism and interventionism. Um, I think it's ridiculous that our government is spending billions of billions of dollars on a defense budget, um, to just have empty graveyards of basically F 13 fighter jets, right. F 32 fighter jets. Like w- what is the point in this, yeah. um, what is the point that we are right now just so aggressive and always, you know, taking a, I, I, honestly, I, it looks like we're taking a Napoleon approach to everything, right? We're, we're the big bad guy in, in the world and, and we have to fight everyone and we have to gain global dominance. Where is the true American value and morals that our founding fathers set for it to serve the people? I, 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 it's all it's lost that. I mean, it's literally not serving anyone. Uh, It's just serving the few bureaucrats and for what? For the name of global dominance, which will inevitably collapse. Of
1: course, that's the, I was waiting for you for that. I was waiting to say that and you're right. It always collapses. It is this, this, this uh, poisoned uh, chalice that people want to have global dominant. All it does is just make you vulnerable. It just exposes you and spreads you out so thin that eventually it all falls apart. And uh, so, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, And yes, uh, libertarians believe in ending the wars, bringing the troops home. The purpose of a military or a militia or whatever, the purpose of a military is to protect us from aggression. That's it. It is not not to spread Americanism, whatever the hell that even means, or spread democracy. Does anyone really think that Iraq and Afghanistan are functional democracies? No, No. from Afghanistan,
0: that's there's no
1: point. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, did your parents come during the, during oh, yeah. the, when, mm-hmm. when did they come here? If so that,
0: yeah. my mom came here in the nineties. She actually went to Canada and then my dad, um, he escaped to Russia. Then he went to Hungary, then America. Right.
1: So that was to get away from the Taliban. Yeah.
0: It, the Taliban and the Mujahideen. And it's, mm-hmm. it's literally like, oh, it's cause uh, you know, I remember that my dad was telling me that he said, you know, obviously he doesn't like communism, but he says that if America didn't bud in Russia and the USSR coming into Afghanistan, we would be in a much, much, much better
1: position than we are today. Of course. Um, of course. Because America and, and, came and and also, just destroyed it. And also the communists wouldn't have won. And that's the one thing that the what, what the U.S. involvement did was make that more bloody for Russia and, and also it, it made it happen faster but it also put the Mujahideen in charge and it created right. the basis for the Taliban and later Al Qaeda. Um, and I mean, you know, and there's a long history of this. We, yeah, we yeah. create every boogeyman that we end up having to fight and create a new boogeyman to fight that boogeyman. I can't even imagine what's being created right now by the U S government to fight ISIS. Uh, but I'm sure we'll have to fight them in a few years. Um, but yes, no, it's, it, you know, uh, to, to, no, I'm glad you're here. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly glad you're here, but the yeah. fact that you had to be here because your parents had to flee your homeland because it was destabilized by the US government because we treat the rest of the world or I should we we are robbed so that our government and their cronies can treat the rest of the world like a giant chessboard it's 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 atrocious I'm glad that your parents survived it And I'm grateful that your parents survived it. Unfortunately, many others did not. And I'm certain I don't have to tell you that. And I'm sorry that that has happened. But no, we absolutely stand against that. The purpose of a military is to protect against invasion. Against aggression from others, or or even the immediate threat of aggression. If there's you know a a charging army coming here, they, we don't have to wait for them to actually start killing people. But there has to be an actual reason. It can't be oh that country threatened this country, which is an ally of our country. This genocide in Yemen that we're that that the U.S. government is is sponsoring with Al Qaeda and the Saudi government. First of all, I thought working with Al Qaeda was treason. But I guess if our government does it, it's just foreign policy. But no, I, I agree with you 100, man. It needs and like you said, it always, always fails. It usually fails in Afghanistan, interestingly enough. Um, yeah, but that's a whole other this. subject. Um, and, and Jack, what was your what, what what's your, the biggest thing you think we're facing right now?
2: Well, I'm going to take a different approach than um, Rodin, where I'm going to talk about mainly economics. And I think right now we are spending so much, and I think also with inflation, those are the two biggest issues that will affect. Um, day-to-day life for americans once this pandemic ends because we are making so much money and we are spending so much money eventually once things level out where's all that money going to go to right it's going to cause hyperinflation and i know most of the problems that we that we talk about they don't necessarily affect day-to-day life but this will actually rise in price you know, all of a sudden, businesses are going to shut down. You know, we can have another recession. And I think that's the biggest problem we're facing, that everybody's ignoring. And quite frankly, neither party is taking accountability. Neither party is saying, hey, we have to stop this. I think this is where libertarianism really shines. And I think this is why we need to break the two-party system now, um, especially now with the division of the Republican Party. We have to do something, because if we don't do it, no one will do it. And this is a big issue that will face America in the very... Um, short-term future
1: in we're very, already starting yeah no in the, in the in the near future yeah no absolutely we, we and we're beginning to see that right now jack like we're already seeing uh inflation happening even in the midst of a you know massive Economic devastation. Uh, One out of every six small businesses shut down permanently last year. Uh, And even some of the bigger businesses went out of business uh, or or their 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 demise was hastened along Uh, a record number of Americans that are that are getting on assistance because they absolutely need it. You know, even in the midst of this, the price of things are going up. The stock market's going up. We have, we have record, and stock market is largely a gauge of how much money is being thrown at big businesses. That's, it's increasingly a gauge of what that second tier economy looks like. The, 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 the GameStop kids learn that. They learn that this is not a market where you can go in and actually try to, uh, you know, try try to uh, I- impact outcomes or 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 funnel money into a company that you believe in or, or or anything like that. It's a place for central bankers to manipulate the funds of retirees and make themselves incredibly wealthy. That's that's really what it is. Um, it's it's a monopoly game, and and the rest of us get largely screwed out of most of the money. Uh, but so you know, even in the midst of that, we have a situation where we're at you know record levels of poverty in our time, and in, in, in since I've been alive, certainly. And yet the stock market's at an all-time high. Well, how is that? Because of inflation, because they've thrown so much money. And, and, and so inflation, we always call inflation the, we, we, assign, we, we label inflation the increase in the cost of living. That's not what inflation is. Inflation is inflation of the monetary supply. The increase of the cost of living is the symptom of inflation. We're experiencing the inflation right now with these record high stock prices and all of that stuff. And we're already beginning to see the increase in the cost of living happening. I mean, there's always a steady increase in the cost of living, but we're starting to see that bell curve where it's really starting to go up with hyperinflation. With with we've already had the hyperinflation, and it has no sign of stopping. They're about to pass another make a trillion dollar stimulus bill. There's talk about UBI, which would just be a permanent stimulus bill. And anyone who thinks UBI isn't also going to have trillions of dollars being permanently given every every few months to major corporations. I would submit every single bill that's ever made it through Congress in the last 20 years. That's just not how it works. Um, And so, you know, this is going to lead to horrible, horrible outcomes. And you're right. Republicans and Democrats, they kick the can down the road uh, because the main purpose for Republicans is to get into office so that they can pay back the cronies who bought and paid for them to be in office. That's the whole purpose of, of, of what their, their good cop, bad cop routine is the, the Republicans play to their base, they play good cop to their base and then they pay, play bad cop to the other base. The Democrats play good cop to their base and they pay, play bad cop to the other base. And the reason f- that they do the good cop, bad cop is so that even if you don't like the Republicans, Man, those Democrats are, are worse. I'm going to vote Republican. And the Democrats, even though they don't like their their politicians, they go, yeah, but you know what? Those Republicans are terrible. And then they vote for them. This keeps you voting Republican, even though they work together every single day. These resist Democrats that were resisting Donald Trump and they were going to keep him out of office. They fully funded his agenda for four years. They fought him on like three billion dollars here and two billion dollars. They gave him trillions of dollars. That's how much they resisted him. The, the Republicans in, in Congress, when Barack Obama was, this is the worst president we've ever had, they gave him trillions of dollars. They fought him on a few billion here and 10 billion here and a few hundred million here. They gave him trillions. It's all theater. And it's not going to change until we kick all of these clowns out of office and replace them with people. None of this stuff's going to get fixed. The imperialism, the, um, the 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 economic disasters that are happening from, from this Keynesian style of economics, none of this is going to get fixed until... Until we kick these clowns out of office, kick their entire system out of office and replace them with people who recognize that each one of us as Americans and as human beings does best when we are most free and that all of these terrible things that are happening are as a direct result of the centralization of power, the taking of the power from the people and the money from the people. And dismantling all of that and giving it back to you so that you can thrive and prosper in ways that aren't even possible right now. That's what the Libertarian Party stands for. That's what I fight for every day. And I'll tell you guys, Bordine, Jack, hearing you at 16 years old recognizing and articulating what the problem Mm is brings me an incredible amount of hope that, you know, that, 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 you know, we're going to be able to fix this. I know there are plenty of people your age that don't agree with that. But the fact that there are people who are at your age, and already articulating this and recognizing this, it gives me incredible hope. I am honored to have you fighting for this alongside me. And, uh, and I can't wait to work with you as you as you get older. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, obviously there's a lot of stuff you can't do till you're 18. Uh, you know, voting and things like that. But there's plenty you can do in advocacy. And I'm just I'm honored to be working with you. And I'm grateful that you had me on your show
0: thank you thank you well uh that's the end ladies and gentlemen um have a good one peace